probably wondering why I have that. We will see in just a little while. We ought to start with prayer this morning. Several things that we should be praying for, praying for one another. Um, I think many of you know that Mark Moore lost his dad last night, uh, yesterday, late in the day. So pray with me for the Moore family as we begin this morning, and let's ask God to intervene there. And then there are several that are sick this morning. Uh, some of our folks who are involved in teaching are away. Dwight is sick this morning, and so let's pray for those who are, are not well, too. And Maddie's with us this morning. And good to see Maddie. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we first want to say again that here we are to worship. You are good in every way. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for that great promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and so we can be strong and of good courage. Just as you were in Joshua's day, so you are today. And Lord, I I pray for Mark and the entire family, Christy, Abby, and for his extended family. Lord, I pray that this will be a time of coming together and not uh, drifting apart. Lord, I know that takes sometimes uh, a miraculous intervention, and we pray for that. Lord, we pray that you intervene and you bring about uh, peace and harmony in difficult time. Lord, for those who are away not feeling well, we pray that you'd encourage their hearts this morning, that you would uh, just your presence would be real to them, and that they would know your comfort. And for us who are here, Lord, we're looking at your word, and we believe it came from you. So would you speak to us through your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I thought it would be good for us this morning to take just a minute and look at a map. Now, you may not be real interested in geography, but part of this passage we're going to look at in Joshua 1, it's kind of necessary to see the picture of where they are and what has happened. So if you see the map before us, you know, we are low tech. I don't have a laser pointer, but I'd like to show you something here. And I brought this stick up. I don't think I can reach it, so it isn't going to help me at all. I was going to use it for a pointer. You notice that uh, the bottom where it says Edom, well, below that and to your, what would be to your left would be Mount Sinai. So after the Exodus, they came across the, the, the Red Sea would be to your right, or to your left, rather, on that map. And... Uh, they came across the Red Sea. They went. They ended up down at Sinai. They spent quite a bit of time there while the law was given, the instruction on the tabernacle. And then they wandered north. And below Edom is one of the areas of wilderness where they spent a good deal of time. And then up through the land of Moab. And if you look just above the name of Reuben, you see Mount Nebo. And if you look at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord uh, uh, showed Moses the land, the promised land of Canaan, which is that whole area where the tribes were on the left side there of, of the River Jordan. And the Lord showed Moses this great promised land that he's going to take them in. But while that map is up, just want to call your attention to something. You notice that 
what would be on the east side of the Jordan, there are three tribes. There's Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Do you see that? And that becomes important as we read this because it'll help us to make sense. So Reuben and Gad, Manasseh. Now when they come, do you see where Jericho is? Right at the top of the Dead Sea. And you'll see that the Jordan begins there. You see Jericho. And Jericho becomes pretty important to us in just a couple weeks as we see the walls come down. But they crossed uh, above the top of the Dead Sea there and went over, and Jericho was just a few miles from there. Now, so keep that in mind, and keep in mind that we're Gad, Reuben, and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. When you, when you hear the two and a half tribes, the reason was Manasseh was a very large tribe, and so they got space on both sides of the Jordan. All right, so hold those thoughts in your mind, hold that map in your mind, and let's look at the book of Joshua. We're uh, on part two of possessing our possessions, and we're not going in the land yet. We're still on the east side of Jordan and still preparing, getting ready to go in the land. And if you notice the plains of Moab that were up, you don't need to put it back up, but they were at the bottom end of the Dead Sea. That's where Moses was buried, was somewhere in Moab, and we don't know where. It doesn't tell us exactly where. You know, there's an old spiritual song, and I know you guys can hear this as I read the lyrics. You can hear a great baritone voice singing this song, an old spiritual that said, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Uh, I sometimes up and sometimes down. I know my soul is heaven-bound, the lyric says, Tell all my friends, if you get there before I do, tell all my friends I am coming to, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for Remember that song? Remember it well? Can you hear what I hear? And, and of a rich baritone voice singing that song out, and, and you just kind of are into it. Great sentiment in that song. If you get there before I do, tell all my friends I'm coming to. Isn't that a great sentiment? Great thought. While the sentiment is great and the assurance of heaven is great, the picture's not right. Because in the picture that the song portrays, going over Jordan, I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Well, going over Jordan is going to heaven. And going over Jordan isn't going to heaven. Going over Jordan is going into Canaan land, which is the promised land for God's people on earth. It's a land of bread and honey we talked about last week. It's a great place. It's a land of victory. You know, when you begin this, this letter, and we're going to start at verse 8 in a moment, but repeatedly the children of Israel are told to uh, meditate on the Word, to get in the Word. And so the thought occurred to me this week, well, Joshua, what word would he have had? How much would he have had? Well, he'd have had the five books of Moses, right? Well, how much would you know about God and what we should do out of the five books of Moses? Well, just think about it just a second with me. The book of Genesis, and I like one word titles for books. Many years ago, somebody told me this, and I've, it stuck with me. 
But a good one word for Genesis is beginnings. And, and in Genesis, what do you learn about God? And in verse 8, they're going to be told to meditate on the word. What can you learn out of Genesis if you stop and meditate on the person of God? A whole lot. Just out of Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, that the Lord created from nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What can you learn? Can you learn about power? Can you learn about sovereignty? Can you learn about eternity? Can you learn about infinity? Can you learn about creativity? Uh, can you learn something about the person of God from just from Genesis 1? Well, you can learn a lot. And then as you work through the book of Genesis, you see God's hand in history, and you see the beginnings of the great nation. You see God working through people. So they had Genesis. They would have had They had the book of Exodus. One of the ways to see your way through the book of Exodus is by remembering the key chapters, 12, 20, 26. And if you see 12, 20, and 26, you'll see your way through Exodus, because chapter 12, the Passover, and everything before that kind of leads up to the Passover through the plagues. Chapter 20, and these spill over 19 and 21, but chapter 20 is the key chapter on the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments in particular. There at Sinai, and the Lord gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. You know that whole story, the tablets. And then 26, and then again the chapters right around it, is the giving of the tabernacle, the instruction for the tabernacle. So what did they know? Well, they knew about redemption. They knew that God had provided for them and delivered them uh, by his power and providential hand. He had delivered them out of Egypt. So did they know something about God when they meditated on what the Lord had done, meditated on Exodus? I think so. How about Leviticus? Oh, what a complicated book. Leviticus is really, if you had a one-word title, it's worship. And Leviticus teaches the people to worship. A lot of ordinances, a lot of instruction in Leviticus about how to approach God. What would they learn from Leviticus? You know what they'd learn? They'd learn that there is a holy, omnipotent, and omniscient God who is with us always. Every place that we go, He's omnipresent. He knows everything, and He has all power. I think they can see that through the book. They can see God's power. They can see His redemption. They can see His grace. And, and then you come, Genesis, Exodus, what's next? Leviticus, and then Numbers. Numbers, what's a good one-word title for Numbers? If Leviticus is worship, what would be a good one-word title for Numbers? How about wandering? Because the book of Numbers is about them wandering. I think you see grace in Numbers because when they disobeyed, God did not destroy them. He still had in mind a promise that he had made. He's going to take them into the land. He's going to give them the land of Canaan. So he doesn't give up on them. I think you see perseverance and patience. So when, when they are told, Joshua and the people are told to meditate on the word, they've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then they have the book of Deuteronomy. Another interesting book. The, the word Deuteronomy, uh, it means restatement or something close to that, to say again. In the book of Deuteronomy, some have described as the second law, but really there's a lot of repetition. 
But remember that the people who came out of Egypt, who were of age, died out there. And so now you have a new generation. And Deuteronomy is really a restatement of much of what God has already given to a new generation of people. But I just see, again, God's patience in Deuteronomy. So, And you find wonderful instruction in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, that talk about him all the time. Talk about him to your children. Talk about him to your children's children. Talk about the Lord. Be saturated with him so that he just, he just comes out of you as you speak. And so they had all of these books. So when we read in, in verse 8, and today we're just going to read it and talk about it as we go. So look, start with me in verse 8. I know we're in the middle of a paragraph, but let's do it anyhow. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, and you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you can be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Last week, uh, I had an interesting conversation after service. Uh, one of our visitors brought up a recent, uh, I, what would I call it, revelation of, of Andy Stanley. You, you all know who Andy Stanley is. Andy Stanley pastors five or six churches. Well, he oversees them in the Atlanta area. And I think the average attendance on Sunday is 30 or 32,000 people. Andy Stanley is Charles Stanley's son, both of them in Atlanta. Charles Stanley's now in his 80s. I uh, haven't heard him for a while, but they're very different people. Um, Andy Stanley is ministering to a, a new generation of people. And he has become really concerned about people who have no respect for the Bible that are in our society and how to reach them. And so in his effort, sometimes we overstate things in our zeal and our effort to do something. In his effort to try to reach in a, to a generation who does not regard the Bible highly, and people don't regard the Bible highly today, but he said, let's, let's, his word was unhitch from the Old Testament. Let's unhitch. And then he appealed to passages like Hebrews 8, I think it might be verse 13. And, and it is true that we do not look to the Old Testament for our salvation. That Our salvation is revealed in the New. But we would really be diminished if we did not have the Old Testament and if we couldn't appeal to it. I personally would be diminished without the book of Joshua. I think Joshua along with Matthew, was the first book I ever tried to teach. It was a train wreck. But I got in it and studied it and studied it, and I, I remember God growing the eyes of faith as I watched him unveil himself through the book of Joshua. I mean, I could see the waters parted. In my simple mind, I could just see the Lord take them through on dry land as his presence signified by the priest 
and uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant went through as his presence signified. His presence was with them all the time, and that Ark illustrated that, I should say. And, and I could just see that. I could see the water. It's harder to see today. Maybe my vision isn't as good. How about the, the one story that, that just completely befuddles me is the story of Jericho. And I've said this before, but what a ridiculous plan, military plan, to take a city, isn't it? That's ridiculous. And yet the city came down. And so if I didn't have the book of Joshua, I wouldn't understand all that God has done through the generations for his people. I'd be cheated. Now, I read a good deal of what Andy Stanley says, and let me just say, I, I understand what he's trying to accomplish, but I think when he said that we're going to unhitch from the Old Testament, that he overspoke. Uh, they probably didn't think that through very carefully, and I suspect in days to come he'll acknowledge that. I, there's a lot. Of, if you want to read this story, read all about it. Just go online, read it, uh, anything, put in Andy Stanley's name, and you'll find more than you want to know. You'll find people like John Piper responding. John Piper had an interesting statement that grew out of this, and Piper said, uh, and this is a rough quote, but it's close. He said, the Bible itself is the greatest evidence for the Bible. That the, in other words, the Bible is self-authenticating. And when I read through the Old Testament, when I read the book of Genesis, for instance, and I see where it all came from, I see the story of creation. I find that that is a self-authenticating story. It gives me understanding of where what I'm looking at, where it came to be. I see it there in Genesis. I was not raised around the Bible stories. And as a young man, I wondered about creation or I wondered about where, we all, where it all came from. I can remember sitting on a stump in my mom and dad's little front yard and looking out at night at the majesty of it all and the, the enormity of it all and saying, where came from? And, and I didn't know where it came from. And I, I was taught a little bit. We were in a different day. I was taught a little bit about evolution and that everything came about in a natural way. But there was one hurdle I could never cross, and that is, where did it start? That, you understand what I'm saying? Where did it start? You have to have a beginning. You know what comes from nothing? Nothing. That's what comes from nothing. And so it didn't come from nothingness. In my simple mind, I understood that. So I've said all this to say that we need the Old Testament, and we need the book of Joshua. And when these people are told to meditate on the Word, notice there's a pattern here in verse 8. Don't let this law, book of the law, the book of God, depart from your mouth. Be talking about it. Be thinking about it and meditate on it. Did he say memorize it? What's the difference? Can you memorize the word and memorize a verse without ever meditating on it? Absolutely you can. And we do it all the time. We memorize things without ever really thinking of their significance. That's not what he's telling them to do. Don't, I didn't say don't memorize. Memorizing is wonderful. But what I am saying is don't just memorize. 
We need to do the same thing that they did. We need to meditate. You know, there, there are three things here I see in these verses that, that they needed to do that were present with them, and this is the outline in the bulletin if you want to glance through it, that are still present today. There are still needs for us today. And, and that first one is the Word. We need the Word. How do we know how to live without the Word? Folks, listen to this. Uh, I want to say it carefully. I didn't write it down, but a person today cannot prosper. You notice he said, then your way will prosper. So meditate on the Word, do it, and then you will prosper. See those three steps? It's right there in the verse. Meditate day and night so that you be careful to do it, do what it teaches, and then God will make your way prosperous. There are three steps there. The first one is to meditate. Think about it. Chew on it. Talk about it. Talk about it with your friends. And this, the, the second one is do what it says, and then your way will be prosperous. Now, he's not talking about prosperity in the sense that it's used today. He's talking about your soul being prosperous. He's talking about the assurances that far exceed anything that this world has to offer. He's talking about real prosperity there, the prosperity of knowing God and walking with Him. That's prosperity, is knowing Him, not money in the bank. That's not prosperity. You can be a pauper and have money in the bank. Money in the bank's okay. But that, that, that order of, of no, do, and then prosper. There is a definitive order there. And listen, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, as someone who claims Christ as Savior, you cannot, listen, you cannot prosper if you don't know and do. It isn't going to happen. You won't prosper. Anybody in your life, any, maybe in your own life, that you realize that there are things you know, that you've thought about, but you're just not doing them. Anything like that? Well, can you expect to prosper in the Lord if that's the case? I don't think so. So to know, to do, is to prosper. And for believers who think that they can go their own way and prosper, they're wrong. They were wrong in Joshua's day, and they're still wrong today. They won't know a prosperous soul in rebellion. So to do... Then your way will be prosperous. And he says, Have not I commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How do we know that? Well, we know that by his word, by meditating on his word. That's how we know that. We know that by listening to his instruction. We know that by hearing the voice that spoke to Joshua. That's how we know that. And so the Old Testament is important to us. Then in the next few verses, you find a, a, a little twist in this thing. Something else that we still need. Let me read a few verses here, starting with 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you to possess. Prepare your provisions. Then verse 12. 
And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word of Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a space of rest and will give you this land. We're going to pick that back up in just a second at verse 14. But notice that Joshua went through and he said, or he had the, the leaders go through and say, Prepare, prepare your provisions. You know, there's a big difference in preparation and presumption. Do we ever presume on God? Any of us ever presume on God? You know, there's a story, and I, won't, I wouldn't give his name for anything, but a young man many years ago, and, and really I think his mother and father were behind this, but he went off to Bible college. He was convinced he was, should go to a Christian college. He didn't have a nickel in his pocket. and didn't have any idea how it was very substantial tuition, the school that he went to, how he was going to pay it. You know that when he got there? They sent him back home. Why? Because he presumed on something that God had never promised. You know, we can presume on God in lots of different ways. And God expects us to do what we can do with the resources he's given us. He expects us to start there. God had provided for these people, and he expected them to use those resources themselves. I mean, isn't that still the way it is? Uh, We are to use the resources God has given us and make preparation, make plans. And then, if something happens that it's not enough, watch God step in. He'll still make us prosperous. He'll still take care of us. But they, they were to plan and prepare provisions because just three days down the road, they're going to go over and go into the land. We'll see more of that in chapter 3. But planning, preparing, we still need to do it. Still need to plan and prepare. Same today as it was then. We need to be ready. Then that next section where he talked about the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Remember that map? Well, if you remember, they are on the east side of the river. On the east side, they're in the plains of Moab. And Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh and and the tribe of Reuben, their land was already in front of them. They were in it, basically. They, their land is on the east side of the Jordan. And so if they wanted to just stay home, all they had to do was set up their tents, and you can see it there on the map. They could, they could begin to live right where they were because they were in the promised land for them. They were in their land that God had promised them and given them. Moses had already spelled this out. But yet, notice as we read, there's a need for them to go with the people. Now, while your mind is on that and you're looking at the map, what would have happened if Israel would have crossed the Jordan and then been defeated by any of the various peoples who lived in the land of Canaan, what would have happened to those two and a half tribes, Transjordan, on the other side of Jordan? What would have happened to them? Just a matter of time, matter of time, they'd been wiped out. It was necessary that they join their brothers. Now read with me that rest of that chapter. In fact, I'm going to go back to verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, 
The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, on the other side of Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed. And then notice there's an interesting word there. Not only did they go with their brothers, but they pass over before their brothers. Now let's hold that thought for a second. These three tribes not only were to go with their brothers, they were to go before them. And, and then it says, the last part of verse 14 says, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you've said we will do. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so will we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. All right, so let's go back and think about that for a minute. So these people are in their land. They're already in the land promised them. But he says, don't stay there. Send your soldiers. Let your family stay there. Let them go to the camp. But send your soldiers on ahead with the rest of the army because they need you. But not only go with them, but go before them. Now, why, what a sacrifice. Why, why would they go before them? What would it say to the people if you saw Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, if you saw those tribes right out in front of you, and while they didn't even need to go, what would it say to the rest of the people? Do you think it would be a word of encouragement? Do you think? Do you think they'd say, now we've got to go, we've got to charge forward, we've got to go, because these people don't even have to, and they're going to help us. So how's that apply today? Do you know that we need one another? Do you know that? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Um, the ear can't say, because I'm not the eye, uh, you have no, I have no need, you have no need of me. Uh, it says it something like that. And both are, both are important. The eye's important, the ear's important. You, if you can see and not hear, you're diminished, aren't you? If you can hear and not see, you're diminished. Both are important. And he illustrates the importance that we have to one another. Folks, the body of Christ rises and falls together. We need every one of us contributing our part, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. We need every one of us contributing. I don't know in all cases what God would have somebody to do, but we need to be contributors, and we need to be asking God, God, how can I contribute to the body? How can I help? What can I do? How, how, what, can I go before Jordan or before them across Jordan? Can I go into the land and lead them? Can I show them the way? Can I do that? What can I do? Am I an eye in my ear, in my foot, in my hand? What am I? Um, some cases, those parts aren't very visible, Paul tells us. Sometimes they're really inconspicuous, but does that make them unimportant? No. Linda's coming off of a broken hand, and when she reaches out, 
her hand won't close, right, Linda? Her hand won't close. And, you know, when you realize that you can't close that thumb, you are really diminished. You can't pick things up. It cripples you. And so that hand becomes useless. That little thumb is really important to us. Well, all of the thumbs are important in here. There is no little role. We're all important, every one of us. And your part's as important as Jason's part, or Derek's part, or Nate's part, or my part. That we're all important to this body. That, those two tribes that already had their land, two and a half tribes, they were critical to the well-being of the rest. And so are we critical to the well-being of the rest. I think there's a word there for us this morning is that we need to be looking at how we can contribute to the work of the body of Christ. Well, the question that comes to me as I look through this is that always, how does it affect us today? I, I think it's really simple. I told Myrna last night, this is way too simple. Uh, it can't be this simple. But I think it is simple. And it's so simple that when I say it, it seems trivial. But do you know that we still need God's Word to direct us? Do you know that? We, we still need God's Word. Nothing's changed. They needed to meditate and then to do God's Word so that they'd prosper. You know what, folks? We need to meditate. And we need to do God's Word so we can prosper. And I want to say this one more time because I don't want to miss it. There are people in my circle right now to whom I'd like to say this. If you claim the name of Christ and are living in disobedience to his word, you are not going to prosper. I can just guarantee you that you're not going to prosper. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a train wreck just down the road. There's going to be a train wreck. And so we need to know to do so that we can prosper. That's as important to us as it was to Joshua. In my mind, more important because I live today. Then the, the second part of that, the practical preparation, I think it's still important. Not presumption. Don't presume on God. Trust Him. But do everything that's within our power. I think even as a tree, this is true. We need to seize the day and do all that the Lord can, can put into our hearts and minds and do everything humanly possible. Now, we do it while trusting the Lord. I'm not dismissing Him at all. But He wants us to plan and prepare, uh, prepare day to day. I uh, also have memories in my mind of people that would do silly things financially. Uh, none of us have ever done that, have we? No, no one here has ever made a really stupid financial decision, but people that would go out, for instance, and take on the encumbrance of a new car that had an enormous payment and think somehow it was faith when they had no idea how they were going to pay for it. That's not faith. That's presumption. There's nothing that God has told you that would show that that's faith unless it's a very extraordinary circumstance, and then you better be careful. We don't want to presume on God. We need to plan and prepare. And then lastly, very practical, we just need one another. Uh, I need you. This has been a hard week. Anybody else have a hard week this week? Oh, it's been a hard week. I told the folks in our uh, Bible fellowship this morning 
Uh, Friday night, our furnace went out. And uh, fortunately, we were through the cold spell, and we have a wood heater, and so we were okay. Our bedroom was chilly, trust me. When your feet hit the floor, you move pretty fast. But, uh, but we were fine. And then uh, last night, I went upstairs to get ready for bed, and there's no hot water. I haven't had a chance to fix the furnace yet, and now the hot water's out. And then those little things, those are trivial. They'll get fixed. Not a big deal. But those little things pale in comparison to some of the other things that are going on around us. And I just recognize my need for the body. I, I, need, I, need, you. I need you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to love me, unlovable though I may be. I, I need you, and, and you need me too. We need one another. We need each other. That's the way the body works. And so is it practical? I think it's infinitely practical here that God would have us to get in his word and to meditate it, think about it, and do it so that we can prosper. God would have us to plan and prepare and use our resources well. Uh, They were to put up their rations and have enough so that they could go on the journey. Take that to heart. And then we need one another. And those are good words to us today. It hasn't changed. We still need them just like they did. Would you pray with me? Lord, there is a thought that is in a way just compulsive in my mind and heart this morning as I think of folks who maybe know what to do. It's clear to them. They know to do right. They know how you would have them to react and act. And Lord, they don't do it. And Lord, because of that, their soul will not prosper. I know it to be true. Father, if there's someone like that this morning who's living in open rebellion to you, or would you just press upon their heart that they need not only to know, but they need to do more than memorize, they need to meditate and to think about you and think about your ways. And then, Lord, they need to surrender their will to you just as the people of Israel had to surrender to you and follow your plans, so do we. Lord, would you speak to any who would be in that circumstance this morning? This is your time, your work. No words, no matter if they were spoken well, couldn't convince people, but you can, your spirit can. So do your work in our hearts as we close this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Joshua. Uh, Thank you that we see the promise that you'll be with us, that we can be strong and courageous because you're always with us. Thank you for that. Thank you for these people. And now, Lord, do your work. Uh, Whatever it is you want to do in each of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and.